Hands the ball to Stevenson. Stevenson yo-yoing with it, driving it on Neely Kina. Spins into the lane and scoops oh. it in with the left hand. That'll liven the joint up. Hello and welcome into another Sideline Guys podcast. I'm Pat Boylan, radio host and sideline reporter. As always with me, Jeremiah Johnson, TV host and sideline reporter. We are coming to you on a Tuesday afternoon in between Pacers home games. A stretch of six in a row is what they're in the midst of right now. One down and five to go. And one down in pretty emphatic fashion. You got a game against the Knicks, a team that beat you earlier in the year, but this one didn't really resemble that team. No Porzingis. No Hardaway Jr. And coming in, you know, there haven't been, I don't think, many games this year where you say this is a game where the Pacers, you know, have no business losing, I guess. And so they really haven't been tasked with that a whole lot. And I was impressed with first quarter, how they came out, jumped to a double-digit lead, and then put the game essentially away in the second. Slick was singing singing at halftime on our radio (laughs) So whenever you get uh, Slick singing before the third quarter, it's been a a good start to the game. You're almost forced at halftime to ask some questions, and I talked with David McClure and to have some discussions with Chris and Quinn about what you have to do to hold on to the lead. But there there seemed like no chance of the Knicks coming back. I know they put in the second unit three or four minutes into the third quarter, Jeff Hornacek cleared his bench and made wholesale substitutions and they were a little scrappy and and came back a little bit but you see just how important Tim Hardaway Jr. and Kristaps Porzingis are to that team and without them they're just you know it felt a little bit like a G League team and that's nothing against the Knicks but they just were not able to compete with the Pacers and to the Pacers credit they got off to a really good start they put their foot to the gas pedal, and they did not really let up a little bit in the fourth quarter. But it's always a good night when I look at you uh, prior to starting my first segment of halftime, and you've got a statistical nugget to share. You said that's the biggest halftime margin of the season, one point more than the halftime lead the Pacers had against the Sacramento Kings. So it was an emphatic victory and a good way to start a homestand that really can be very promising. It can, and the Bulls are coming up on Wednesday, and we'll go more into that game and, and talk about the road, the homestand, I should say, as a whole. Coming up in just a little bit, It's this homestand is interesting because it opens up with two games where you say the Pacers should take care of business, and they did. Um, you mentioned that Knicks, the Knicks team that was on the floor, I saw a tweet that I think kind of summed them up pretty well, and I can't remember who tweeted it, so I apologize for not giving the credit here, but it was essentially um, – the Knicks are not without Kristaps Porzingis tonight. The Knicks are Kristaps Porzingis. <laughs> and, 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 and look, you know, Hardaway Jr. is a nice player. Um, I think a lot of teams, maybe not at his salary, but would take him just in general, and he'd be a useful rotation piece. But he's their second leading scorer, 18 points a game. People might forget they started 14-10 and 10 a year ago, and then they the, the wheels kind of fell off. And that was with Carmelo Anthony, and I think that is addition by subtraction by losing him and having Porzingis play more, assuming he's not out super long-term. But, man, you just look at those Knicks – that Knicks team, and you, if the Pacers were missing their top two players, let's say, let's just call it Oladipo and Turner, and say Oladipo and Turner are out, I'm still confident the Pacers could put together, you know, if they're playing Golden State, that would obviously be ridiculously tough, but on an, on an average opponent, let's say the, uh, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks or somebody like that. I'm confident the Pacers could put together a competitive effort. They'd clearly be shorthanded, but uh, I, I, the Pacers have depth, and you just look at New York, it's like, man, they lose their top two guys, and who do they really have? But it was on the road on the second half of the back-to-back, so True. circumstances did not play in their favor. And, uh, you know, for as good a start as they had the first few weeks and have had some really good moments, their one road win was at Cleveland. So they're not a team that is really built to handle the road, and they've had a home-heavy start to the season. So when 
When you look at the standings, and I tend to do it probably a little bit earlier than most do, you see, and I think Mark Monteith pointed it out on Twitter, and I kind of made me think about it a little bit more, it does appear as though there is a separation between 10 and 11 in the Eastern Conference. And you could still see Charlotte and Orlando currently maybe 11th and 12th as being teams that you can't completely rule out at this point. But you see a little bit of separation between 10 and 11, and right now the Knicks are in that top 10. And you start to wonder, okay, who are the two teams that would not make the playoffs if form holds for the next month or two? And so the Knicks are one of the obvious choices because of the fact they are susceptible to injury. And if Hardaway or Porzingis is out for any considerable amount of time, they just don't have as much depth behind them, especially in the scoring department. 42% of their offense, those two players. And also because they've proven they're not a good road team. Right now, you look at the top 8 to 10 in the Eastern Conference, I think everyone has at least five wins on the road, and the Knicks are there with one, and it just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. So the Knicks could be a team that could falter. Um, You want to see one or two teams falter a little bit if you're trying to think and project out to April. But regardless, it was a win the Pacers had to have just from a tiebreaker perspective. Only three games against the Knicks this season, two of them at home. So they already lost at Madison Square Garden. We know what happened last year against the Knicks. They finished one and three against New York. And while the Knicks were not a playoff type of team, those losses hurt the Pacers. So it was just the kind of win you like to have. You like to have one in the fourth quarter that you almost felt like could have been a running clock at times. So an an easy 18-point victory. Those are always nice. That game on Monday night almost became <clears throat> my favorite game since I have been here, and it's for an odd reason. I We got down in Pacers Digital down a rabbit hole uh, before the game on Monday, which had to do with Pacers and dunking because Boyan had not dunked, Collison had not dunked, and if you search the, the depths of basketball reference – you can find dunk numbers. And so we started going down the list. <laughs> Collison. I think, you know what I think you should do before you continue with this story? I think Pacers Digital should raffle off at one of these uh, charity functions down the line the opportunity to spend an afternoon with you and to go down rabbit holes. <laughs> I, I think people would really be interested in that. We have an interesting dynamic up at Pacers <laughs> Digital because uh, there's there's uh, a mix of different people. Like Weed Hodgkiss is like a like a human encyclopedia, and and Greg Rappaport and Kyle Grand, who both write uh, for the website, they're both very knowledgeable basketball fans with a, a little bit more of an opinionated take. And then uh, there's me. So we have a, a, an interesting group of the four of us up there. But so we had found that Collison had one dunk in the last two years and zero this season. Boyan had a decent amount of dunks earlier in his career, but had also not dunked this season. So we started wondering who else hasn't dunked. And immediately I went to Corey Joseph, who an athletic player. He's not as small as Collison. This this actually really surprised me. Corey Joseph in the regular season has one dunk in his career, and it came in his rookie season. So we started looking at this. Go, man, you've got Collison who has one dunk in the last two years. Boyan has not dunked this year, and Joseph has not dunked since his rookie season we start thinking you know maybe we need to like bring this up see if Corey Joseph knows the fact that he hasn't dunked since his rookie season you know maybe would it kind of be a, a fun thing for the players to bounce around the fact that there are three guys who haven't dunked this year and who's going to be the last and there was a 45 second stretch last night where Collison got a steal and he dunked and it was after he went down with that knee injury he got way up. that was an impressive dunk it that's was. the one I remember 
And then the very next play, Collison got another steal and Boyan kind of broke out and it was, it almost happened in slow-mo. I was like, oh my goodness, we just were talking about this. And in about a minute stretch of play, back-to-back plays, you're going to get a Collison dunk and sure enough, Boyan just barely with the left hand. Did you check today to see if they gave him dunk credit? I didn't. I I should look, but I paid very close attention and it was a dunk. It was barely a dunk. If not, you're going to appeal. If it's not, yeah, I will call basketball reference and make sure they change that. And, and so I was looking up uh, at those guys who sit in the club level, and they were just – I could just see them, like, falling over in their chair laughing just in utter disbelief. I mean, we played 23 games this year, and it hasn't happened. And those two guys dunk within a minute of each other. And so we're texting and chatting. You know, if, if, if Corey Joseph dunks in this game, uh, Wheat said he's just going to run out of the building. And, uh, and, he, and late in the game, Collison got a steal, and it wasn't – they didn't have the whole court ahead. But he hit an open Corey Joseph who laid it in, but for a moment – I thought Joseph was going to have his first dunk since his rookie year, and this might only be amusing to me, but uh, you had two guys who hadn't dunked last year who dunked, and I guess when you have a game where Darren Collison dunks and a game where Boyan Bogdanovich dunks, you know things are going well. <laughs> have you told Corey about this? No, so uh, I didn't see him in the locker room, and I was uh, I was going to bring it up to Collison, but I was busy searching down other prospects for the interview because you had Collison on the walk-off. So as far as I know, we have not discussed this with any of those guys, but practice is coming up here in just a little bit, and maybe uh, we'll find a way to, to bring it up then. But, yes, so two uh, first dunks of the season happened against the New York Knicks. And I was impressed with the Collison one, and I was worried. It was one of those things in a game that you just want that game to end. I think Chris mentioned it on television that you just want the game to end and not have anyone get hurt. And when Darren went down, and he grabbed his knee, and it's one of those, his knee has been something that I think has been a little bit under the radar. He's never really been on an injury report this season, but he referenced it after one game that he played really well that you know he gave credit to Josh Corbeil for helping him through that. I think it was actually at halftime that he might have even referenced that, and so when I saw him reach down there, I said, oh no, that's not good, but then I felt immediately relieved when he had the steal and was able to elevate glad to know why you were at courtside laughing the entire time and I, I kept looking over at you was like what is he doing over there <laughs> you know uh, you mentioned the stats thing and and I I enjoy stats that I think tell a really interesting story and and for me there's always I think for everybody you know there's that struggle of you know look the common fan isn't ready to be inundated with stats you want to find stats that tell stories and here's my favorite stat that uh, I have discovered of the season so far. And it didn't necessarily pertain to Monday night or the win over the Knicks. In fact, uh, this was passed over a week ago now. It blows my mind that DeMontis Sabonis has taken 19 more free throws this year than he did all of last year. That's insanity. He's taken 88 free throws this year. He took 67 all last year. Remember, this is a guy that started 66 games. He played in 81. So he only missed one game all year. This isn't, oh, you know, he missed three months of the season with injury or sitting out as a rookie at Oklahoma City. No, this guy played 1,632 minutes and took 67 free throws last year, and in 553 minutes, he's already taken 19 more. It only took him his 17th game to shoot more free throws than he did in 81 last year. And, you know, Sabonis didn't have his best game on Monday night, but uh, he, he was in there, he was effective, he was key on the glass, and you really see a player like him. It's amazing what <clears throat> someone like him, and Oladipo obviously is another example of this, can do when they're played, I guess, correctly in the role that they should be. And I don't think there's any more telling stat that we've seen this season than that one right there. And when the Pacers were in Oklahoma City, I think the second week of the season, I did an interview with uh, someone from one of their media outlets on the radio, and he said, 
what is the deal with Victor Oladipo getting to the free throw line so much more than we remember? And so I think maybe it's a little bit of a product of Oklahoma City because uh, Oladipo's numbers have to be significantly up on a at least free throw attempts per game basis. Only had two last night. But in general, this is a team that I think when you take a quick glance at the stats after most games, they're close or ahead in the free throw attempts um, statistic. And that is a good sign of attacking the basket. I talked with Bill Baino yesterday before the game, and one of the things that he wants to see more of is more threes and more layups, and that's really common with the way the NBA is right now because I asked him before the game, I said, are you surprised this team is second in the NBA in three-point percentage? And he said, oh, what? And I relayed the stat again. Golden State at the point last night was number one, and the Pacers were number two, and I still find that remarkable whenever I check that because I just think of recent seasons that this was not a good three-point shooting team by percentage. And he said, well, I I guess I was not aware of that, but we need to shoot more, and I think they were 24th in attempts. So the Pacers want to shoot more threes, but they want to get more layups, and then getting more layups will get you fouled a little bit more. It's an aggressive mindset, and I think – Last night was really an indication of the kind of aggressive mentality defensively with the steals and the block shots. They got some transition points, points off of turnovers, and also from the three-point arc, they were 11 of 26. So 26, I'm not sure the total attempts they're looking for, um, but 11 for 26 feels like a number that I think they're they're happy with. They're not the 40 of Houston that, that, that they want, but... Um, All in all, I think there are a lot of things in that game, the way they play, they want to translate that forward against better competition, for sure. And it's amazing how much the three-point line has been an indicator of success. The Pacers, and I know we've rattled this stat off, I'm sure, on both broadcasts plenty, but the Pacers are now 11-1 when they shoot 40% or better from the three-point line, and they are 1-10 when they don't. So that's going to be a number that's tough to hit throughout the season, but so far they are hitting it with regularity, and when they hit it, it's almost been a sure thing. We have five games coming up on this road trip, a handful of games. You know, you who travel have to like where the schedule is right now, at least from an ease of travel standpoint because the Pacers don't have back-to-back road games for a month and a half. So we wanted to look at our pick three here. Plenty of games coming up. A lot of them are at home inside Bankers Life Fieldhouse before we get to 2018 and that calendar turns and our pick three for games that we are most interested in seeing in 2017 while we have the rest of December to go. So I'll let you pick first with your pick three. So much talk about this homestand and there are some high-profile games coming up, but I did want to look A little bit um, more down the road, and this will be the final game of 2017, and that is New Year's Eve against the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think it still is one of the better wins of the season, especially when you consider at the time I thought the Grizzlies win was really good, and I thought the win at Miami was good, but both teams might not be um, maybe as good as they've been, obviously the Grizzlies. Uh, But that game at Minnesota was an important early season game for the Pacers to show they could go on the road, they could play well at the time, They'd lost two straight, had been beaten pretty soundly at home by Portland, and then lost at Miami. They didn't have Miles Turner, but they didn't have Miles Turner against Minnesota. Now, the Timberwolves didn't have Jimmy Butler. I could go, the list could go on, but that was an impressive win, one of the best shooting performances in franchise history. And so, round two, the game, the second game of the series, the Timberwolves come to Bankers Live Fieldhouse for a New Year's Eve game, and it just feels like the way the schedule sets up, it's a chance to close 2017 and to close the month of December on a real positive note and I'm looking forward to that game because I also want to see with 13 more games to go in December where can this team be in the standings at the end of December I did an interview yesterday I think with Kent Sterling on the radio where I said you know you look at not just the next five games or six games but really this entire month 
and you look at those top ten in the East, and I think by the end of December you need to be solidly maybe fourth or fifth because the schedule is a little easier than it will be in January, and the schedule is difficult to close the season, much more difficult than it has been in recent years when the Pacers have gone on good runs to win the season. So this is a time to make a little bit of a push, to create a little bit of separation, and really there is no reason for this team not to have some positive momentum. So I'm looking forward to that game at the end of December. New Year's Eve should always be fun. I know you're looking forward to New Year's Eve night to have a night and then not anything to do on yes. New Year's Day. Thank you for no New Year's Day game. <laughs> I think that was Pat was most excited on August yes, uh, 14th that's the first or 15th. Thing I looked at yeah, he, was, he, is there a New Year's Day game? I and plus I love I've always loved the New Year's Eve games. Before I worked here, um, would come with my dad and and the game would be at three. There'd be some excitement. You know, you were off work or school. And then you'd get the game over with, and you still had your night. So I, I love I love playing here on New Year's Eve. I love that it's earlier in the day, and uh, most importantly, that there's not a game on New Year's <laughs> Day. <laughs> Last year, I think I had – I was probably the lamest I have been – since I've been like 16 on on New Year's Eve, I think I just uh, you can make in amends and, for it. You know, you got there are a lot of years, so you got to make up for last year this year. I just stayed in and uh, I think watched football or something. I, I think I went game. to the IU Louisville game, but then didn't do much that night. And then yeah, the Pacers played, I believe, the Magic on New Year's yeah. Day. Correct. Well, you had me beat for exciting New Year's Eves last year. So, congrats. I was all right. <laughs> <laughs> My game that I'm looking forward to is the Cavs game. You know, they are a win at home against. Uh, the hapless Kings from coming to Bankers Life Fieldhouse with 13 in a row, which is really shocking because, you know, each year it seems like a LeBron James team, except a couple, have had stretches of play where they struggle and then people start to say, you know, is are the Cavs or are the Heat in trouble? And I've never been one to buy into it. I've always said, no, no, they've got LeBron James and everyone just needs to settle down. They'll figure it out. And I don't – and I, I truly believe that they would figure it out. But I had a lot of concern. I had more concern, I think, with how the Cavs started this year than any other year because they lost Kyrie Irving. He's been playing so well in Boston. Isaiah Thomas isn't there to fill the gap. Kevin Love is a nice player, but probably not what you want to be in your number two option. Jay Crowder wasn't playing well at the beginning of the year. And all of a sudden it was like, there's LeBron James and a decent player in Kevin Love and then a couple other players that, you know, are, are rotation players certainly in the NBA, but aren't, you know, someone who could take the weight off of LeBron night in and night out. And I was really concerned, you know, for what, you know, the potential for the Cavs was. Not concerned, you know, from a personal standpoint. They could lose and it doesn't matter to me. But I thought there were a lot of issues there. And, you know, I guess that just goes to show that when you have LeBron James, they can cover up so many issues. But, yes, they're a win against the Cavs on Wednesday night. Or, sorry, they're a win against the Kings on Wednesday night from coming into Bankers Life Fieldhouse with 13 in a row. And remember, the Pacers beat them back in early November when they were having those struggles in Cleveland. So that'll likely be a very different Cavs team, at least the mojo around them, the momentum around them. Uh, you know, LeBron has sat a decent amount in this building, but I can't imagine that happening on the Friday Cavs do play the happens. Sixers on Saturday night, so That'll, it's it's a back to back scenario. But I don't, I haven't checked. Has he missed a game this year yet? So he's yet to begin so. that resting. At least it has not made big news or headlines for resting unless he's been injured. I don't think right. he has. So they haven't started to rest LeBron yet. It would be interesting to see what they decided to do. But I imagine he would be playing on Friday night. I think so. Um, so, our pick three, I think, together is obvious. It's December 13th. It <laughs> I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. The first thing, well, you know what? I actually lied. The first thing I looked at the schedule was this, not the New Year's Day game. <laughs> was this. And I actually was hoping it was, I want it earlier the better. Just kind of get it out of the way. Don't have it lingering all year. And it's helped. It hasn't really lingered because the Pacers have been better than expected. 
And, uh, you know, Oklahoma City, I think, will figure it out. But they've really struggled. They're 10-12 and 12 right now. And they've won two in a row to get to 10-12. and 12. So this really hasn't lingered. But nonetheless, it'll be an interesting night when Paul George and Oklahoma City come in, to say the least. Not the same at all, but the buildup, will it be like Peyton Manning coming back uh, with the Broncos? Maybe. I mean, that was pretty a pretty hype situation. That was a game, though, where most fans – couldn't wait to see him, and he was being honored and all that stuff, and and obviously no ill will toward Peyton. Um, there will be there, some, there's going to be some, <laughs> ill, be will. some ill will toward Paul. Uh, you know, I've I've talked on this podcast and at different times about you know my appreciation for what Paul did, and I think that people need to appreciate what he meant to the franchise, and basically just kind of how he handled himself for the most part he was someone who you know there's been so much turnover to think of seven years with the Pacers Uh, but right now the wounds are still too fresh I think people are very happy with how it all went down right now but they weren't in June and July and I think they're disappointed and you know he turned his back on the Pacers it happens franchises turn their backs on players they do that more often than players do the same I'm not going to say how you should react. I would (laughs) just go have fun, I guess. It's going to be a spectacle. I'm interested to see what happens. I think he's going to get booed quite a bit. It'll be loud. I think the Pacers will be fired up. The the odd thing is the fans will probably be more fired up than the players will because there are not that many players that were with him for that much of – you know, that long. I mean, Lance Stevenson probably the most because of his two stints with the Pacers – um, but Darren Collison, you know, he played with them in his first stint with the Pacers and, you know, you got that and, and Miles had a couple of years. So, you know, everybody knows Paul, everyone that even is new this season knew what Paul meant to the Pacers, but it's going to be the fans more than anything that are just fired up for this game, especially if the Pacers can take care of business maybe the next three or four games and also go into that game with some momentum and we can hit on all of this coming up that game is on wednesday so my guess is we will have the opportunity to break that one down um in a, in a little bit monday or detail. tuesday next monday week tuesday, a paul but... george special podcast <laughs> my opinion if you're paying money to go to the game and you're a Pacers fan, you can do whatever you want so. i agree <laughs> i'm not, yeah I'll, I'll have some more thoughts maybe i'll put it all together better next monday yeah. I, I do agree with you do whatever you want how you feel you shouldn't have to uh, explain yourself. I, I just if, if if you if you pay money and you want to cheer and you want to thank him for what he's done and you know you'd rather be in the situation the Pacers are in than Utah is in and you know Kevin Pritchard and company made the situation the best that they could have in a tough scenario. You know you look at Utah who just lost Hayward for nothing and the Pacers have Victor Oladipo and Demontis Sabonis and I think that has made that transition so much easier than it probably could have would have should have. And for all everyone is saying about how much fun they are having watching this team this season, if they would be on the last year of Paul's deal and he was still here. You weren't having fun the last couple of years. You know, you, you should be happy, but you still are disappointed, I guess. All right, let's, uh, let, let's look forward here uh, into this. Five games coming up. The two easiest games on paper on this road trip are the first two. The Pacers took care of one already. This was a road trip or home homestand, I should say. The Pacers had to uh, have some success. So you got up to a really good start with the homestand. You've got a Wednesday night matchup against Chicago, similar to New York. Then you've got the game against Cleveland on Friday. Um, It's very interesting. I think, though, the Pacers, um, Victor Oladipo, I believe, said it over the weekend and after practice, said he does not think this team knows how to be complacent. And so everyone's going to look to Friday, but Wednesday's game against the Bulls is uh, one that they have to take care of business and 
uh, I think they will. That's right, Jeremiah. To continue our conversation here, we head to the St. Vincent Center, and we are with assistant coach Popeye Jones talking about the Chicago game coming up. You guys took care of a shorthanded New York team pretty handily, especially early on there on Monday night. Is it a similar mindset that's needed against a team who comes into Bankers Life Fieldhouse dropping 14 of the last 15? I, I totally agree with you. First of all, you know, it, it's about us. It's not about our, the opponent that we play. Uh, you know, we know they've been struggling. You know, they've, they've lost their last nine in a row. Uh, they're 1-11 on the road, but again, it's about us. It's about us building uh, on the offensive end and also on the defensive end, and the guys understand that mindset, and you know, and they're going to bring it tomorrow. Glad to have you, Popeye, on the podcast, and if you think about Chicago, are they a team where you worry more about yourself than what they do because if you do what you do, then you should be okay? Well, I think you still have to worry about them. They still have some weapons. Uh, they do a great job of moving the ball offensively. I think they, they've inserted Dunn in the starting lineup, who's a very explosive young point guard. Uh, they got some guys that can shoot. We know marketing is uh, an exciting young player playing the power forward for them. And then they come off the bench with some guys. They play with high energy, even though, like you said, their record uh, is, is very poor. But they play with a lot of energy on the defensive end, and they, they do a good job of moving the ball on the offensive end. Over the weekend, Victor said that he did not think this team had it in them to be complacent. When you hear one of your star players say that, how do you feel? And then to have them back it up against the Knicks has to make you a little proud. It, it, not only does it make you, it does make you proud, but not only that, even today, uh, post-practice, Victor, you know, coach made sure that, that the team understood that, you know, we're building about, we're building for something and it's about us. And Victor even spoke up today. I think, you know, slowly he's turning in to that one of those vocal leaders. I don't know. They do it kind of by committee, you know, when somebody has to say something, uh, guys step up and say it, but Victor uh, lately has been really saying a lot uh, out Cur loud. I'm curious, your position as a coach, your mindset on this homestand coming up right now, you guys have five more to go in it. And when we talk to different players, you kind of get different answers. Victor talking about how he focuses only on one at a time. And Darren said the same thing, but he had an interesting comment about how when he was in Sacramento, they'd often look back to stretches like this, maybe where they didn't take care of business. And that's why they didn't get where they wanted to go. What's your mindset when you have a chunk of games like this mm -hmm. where you know it's an opportunity? Well, I think you, you look at it at the beginning of it and say, hey, you know, uh, I guess when the season starts, you look at the schedule when it comes down and say, yeah, we need to take care of business during this home stretch. But then I, I take it one game at a time, even though as a coach you're always working ahead, uh, looking at the, <laughs> the opponents two or three games down the road. But I take it one game at a time, try to focus on, again, uh, uh, the opponent trying to take away their strengths, but at the same time trying to uh, get us to be better uh, as a group. One question that we get to the podcast a lot on Twitter has to do with Sabonis and Turner and playing on the floor at the same time. Mm -hmm. And as their position coach, what do you see from that potential? They both have different styles of games, but I think they're both so intriguing and uh, energetic style of players and both very young. Well, I think they can play together because they both can shoot the ball. Uh, you know, maybe Mal shoots a little bit better from three-point range than Sabonis, but, but Sabonis can stretch to the three and, and make some shots out there too. But I think uh, Sabonis' playmaking ability also allows them to play together. Uh, he can really pass the ball. He understands what coach wants in the offense in terms of uh, uh, running DHOs at the top. And, and again, like I said, Miles can space the floor and give Sabonis room to, to playmake. 
we almost have to remind ourselves that Domas and Miles are both 21. <laughs> but when you see their development, and even specifically against the Knicks, 24 minutes for Sabonis, 12 points, 12 rebounds. I mean, is that as, as good as you could ask for for a backup five? It, it really is. He, uh, you know, obviously the season's still young, but he's had some, some really good games. Uh, you know, he came in and took over when Miles was out early in the year and played really well, and he's continuing that play. Uh, Miles, I think, you know, was a little frustrated when he got back. I had to remind him that, you know, hey, you just got back from injury, and, and I think he's gradually been building and had, having a lot better games. What could Domas do with, you know, that was 24 minutes, 36 or 40? Well, you know, that we don't have enough for him right now, you know. Uh, he'd have to talk to Coach about that one, but, you know, I think that he's done a good job of working his minutes, and that's one of the conversations that I always have. Whatever minutes you get, make sure you're working your minutes and making the best of them. One of the things that uh, maybe over the last week or so, and maybe at times this season, has been a struggle is points in the paint. What do you see with that? I know 70 jumped off the page against Toronto, but even the Knicks, I think, had 56 or 54. Where can that improve? Well, I think a lot of times, you know, we worked on it today. Uh, it's got to improve in shell defense. I think a lot of times our, our perimeter guys are worrying about the three. One of Dan Burke's best quotes today, and we know he has many, was, hey, you know, to Joe Young, what's your guy, what's Darren going to do out in the three-point line if he doesn't have the ball? How many shots is he going to make? So I think what he's trying to explain, if the ball is coming to the paint, don't be moving out to the three-point line towards your guy. Stay in. Let's take care of the paint first. And, and we worked on that today. And we've, we've worked on pick-and-roll defense the last uh, three days as well, trying to be better in uh, middle picks and, and, and side pick-and-roll defense. And I've got a notebook of Dan Burke-isms. <laughs> got to add that one to it. <laughs> yeah. A little bit bigger picture here. When you look at we're now just past the quarter mark of the season, and seemingly this team has gelled together so quickly. And not to compare it necessarily to last year's, but the last two years there have been there's been a lot of turnover in the off season, and it seems like this year's team has has gelled, has molded together more quickly. Do you see that as well? And why do you think that is? Oh, well, first I, I do see it. I see it. You know, uh, first coach uh, Coach McMillan I think has done a great job. And, and molding this team together and, and they came in and you know we started in September these guys just working out together playing pickup ball and they seemed to to really like each other not uh, just on the court but off the court too and I think that's helped a lot. All right final thoughts every once in a while on the podcast we have a little more fun and I wanted to ask you uh, one time this summer I was doing a radio show with Pat actually we were going to have Dan on and he said I'm not in town I'm at Popeye's wedding so it was a big big summer for you and he I, I guess I didn't I didn't know it was happening but you had a pretty good summer I take it and you got married in Denver I did I got uh, I got married up in Beaver Creek in the mountains and yeah, Dan Burke was there. Uh, Coach McMillan came. Did he give a speech at the reception? No, we didn't let him talk. He, he, he may have had a couple glasses of wine. I saw him and the wife. He did join us for our first dance. You know, we brought it, got everybody on the floor. So I saw his dance moves this summer a little bit. But, you know, also uh, Kevin Pritchard was there also. So, you know, I thank those guys for coming up. I know it's a little bit out of the way to get up <laughs> in the Colorado mountains in the summer, but they enjoyed themselves, they told me. Speaking of Colorado, it's one of the places. I mean, actually, probably there are about 29 of them. We go on the NBA on the uh, road in the NBA. We see Popeye Jones fans, but in Denver, when we pull into the arena, there's always a lady that's standing there with a sign that says, "I love Popeye Jones." So you've got little fans all over the place. Well, she's you know I, I didn't play in Denver long. I only played there one year, but she's a she's a really loyal fan, and she's been there for for for. 
I don't know, a hundred years probably. And uh, she always welcomes me back to Denver. And I, you know, I love Colorado. And I guess that's the reason I got married there. I love it so much. You find though, I mean, there are autograph people at the hotels and different things. You have a lot of people with pictures and cards still that remember your playing days. They, they do, you know, and I, I try to take time to, to sign them all and to, to say hello to guy, you know, people standing out there with cards. Uh, uh, I had hair back then, so I always noticed that on my cards. <laughs> All right, thanks, Popeye Jones, for joining us on the, the first coach guest on the Sideline Guys pop, podcast. Thank you guys for having me. One of the benefits of a podcast is you can get a little bit more candid and a little bit more long-winded with a coach like that. We all so often have to think in small bits and small time frames for uh, our audio interviews and, and things like that. But good to get uh, some of Popeye Jones's reflection on what he's seen so far, what they see going forward. And this is something uh, I think you and I are going to try to do a little bit more here at the podcast, try to find ways to diversify it and make it more interesting and hopefully sit down with a coach or a player from time to time. And I try to tell those coaches, you know, not take them for granted because I do appreciate what they do uh, at halftime or before the start of the third quarter. There's a rotation. So every four games they get to walk out through the tunnel before the other coaches and take their turn as the interview. And it's been good to have some continuity, I think, on the coaching staff. We this the start of the season that there were so many new faces but there was continuity with that staff with the trainers with the managers there there are some familiar faces so it's good to have that I like having them around I love talking to Popeye on the road as well so it's great to have Popeye on maybe we'll have Dan Burke on a future show <laughs> A little tease. So you'll have to listen to every single show just to see if we get to Dan Burke coming up. All right, that should wrap it up for this week's Sideline Guys podcast. A reminder, Pacers.com slash tickets. If you're listening before that Wednesday game, five more games coming up. Still, even if you're listening later in the week, four, three more games coming up at home. We'd love to have you at the Fieldhouse. A good environment here for the backstretch of home games. Pacers.com slash tickets is how you can be there. Also, uh, holiday packs are on uh, sale as well. Holiday packs. Sounds like a great deal. A great, uh, a great Christmas opportunity. We've got a, we've got a crowd of... Uh, uh, I think there's a plan for 2018 to have a live studio audience yeah, for the player. Oh, wait, you like that? <laughs> yeah. We don't even have to put in our own up, laugh track or applause track. Well, yeah, it's probably yeah. more of a laugh track, right? At least we know that the people uh, that, you know, get paid We know they won't be downloading, so this is as close <laughs> as they're going to get to be listening. All right, that'll wrap it up for this week's Sideline Guys podcast for Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan. We'll talk to you next week.